The following message was preached at Gospel City Church, a church that seeks to cast a gospel net for the people of Kuala Lumpur. Good morning, Gospel City Church. Uh, my name is Andy. I'm a, a covenant partner here at Gospel City Church, and it is uh, good to be with you all. Let's see if I can get this up a little higher. There we go. Uh, well, it is uh, fitting that we are going through uh, worship with scripture this morning, as uh, one of the things that we'll be looking at today is the, the scripture's price of primacy in the life of the believer. If you are new to us or if you weren't here last week, we are going through a series on the gospel net, as Massimo said. Um, gospel net is one of the uh, DNA, the core DNA of GCC, casting a gospel net for the peoples of Kuala Lumpur. And uh, this series is a bit different than what we normally do. We're normally preaching through entire series of the books at a time, but we wanted to take a pause and remind ourselves of who we are. Um, well, we will be going through the scriptures today, and so if you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, you can uh, raise your hand. Massimo's got some in the back. It's a free gift uh, from GCC uh, to you. So as we're going through this Gospel Net series, last week Massimo taught on what it looked like to nurture gospel-centered communities reminded us that as Christians, it's not our social backgrounds, our shared interests, or attitudes that hold us together, but Jesus Christ. He saved us out of sin into one body, his church. Despite all of our differences, we're reminded that fellowship among Christians is really a gift of God. Uh, next week, one of our covenant partners, Kyle, he'll be uh, taking us through Transform. And what does it look like to be a, a, a church that looks to transform the city through love, joy, hope, and rest in Christ? But this week, we're going to be looking at equipping, or the idea of being equipped to live gospel-centered lives. And we're going to walk through five questions to guide our time this morning. What are people equipped with? Who is equipped? Who's equipping? How are they equipped? And so what? What's the end goal of all this equipping? Uh, the three questions are organized around three main points. The message, the method, and the mission of equipping. Um, we're not going to be as rooted in a, a passage as we normally will, but our, a lot of our time will be grounded in 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. And so we'll start there, and if you have a Bible, you can open up there to 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. And I'll be reading from the ESV. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word, and as we think this morning of what it looks like to be equipped to live gospel-centered lives, Lord, I pray that you would make the word uh, fresh to us this morning. Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom to interpret. Lord, I pray your spirit would speak uh, through me into the lives of your church. God, I pray that we would leave this place knowing what it looks like to be equipped and to equip to help others live gospel-centered lives. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So I believe the truths that we're going to be discussing about equipping this morning are not uh, new. There's nothing necessarily glamorous about them. This is not a new 10-step or 5-step model for 
uh, equipping. But what I do believe is that the method and the mission that we're going to look at for equipping is rooted in the scriptures. I believe that it's modeled by Christ, practiced by the early church. And in that regard, although it may not be new, although it may not be innovative, it's glorious in the fact that we get to equip and be equipped in the same manner that Christ equipped his disciples. And so the first thing that we're going to start with is looking at what is the message of equipping? What are people equipped with? What is the source or the message of living the gospel-centered life? It's going to be rooted here in 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. And I believe that this presents important truths about the key place that the Bible has in the role of the gospel-centered life. So let's break down this passage a bit and try to understand all of the rich truths that Paul wants us to understand about the relationship that the Word of God has for equipping for the gospel-centered life. So we start off and it says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. So right off the bat, from verses 14 to 15a, we see two really important truths about the Bible and the gospel-centered life. And one is when someone is able to read and understand it, and the second is from whom it comes. So we see that the scriptures, these sacred writings, in the CSB it says they were known from infancy. In the ESV it says from childhood you were acquainted with the sacred writings. And then Paul also says from whom you learned it. This passage has hyperlinks going back to 2 Timothy 3.10, where Paul says that Timothy knew his teaching. He knew Paul's teachings. It also hyperlinks us back to 2 Timothy 1.5, where we read of Lois and Eunice, the mother and grandmother of Timothy, who taught him this word, this sacred writings. And so we see two things, two important aspects to consider about how we are uh, equipped with the Word of God. And the first is that there were teachers. It's simple, but I think it's important to say there was someone who was teaching, someone who was giving this Word of God, whether it was Paul, whether it was Lois, whether it was Eunice. Timothy was not necessarily expected to just read this and know it by himself. There was someone who was there dispensing and giving information. It instructs us that when people are learning and being equipped, it appears to be at least a normal practice for there to be a teacher giving and instructing wisdom. And the second thing that I believe we see from this passage is the simplicity of the Word of God for understanding. Paul says that Timothy knew or embraced it from childhood or infancy, based on whichever translation you're using. And at least we know that from a young age, he was able to understand the truths of Scripture, which led to salvation. Now, there are parts of Scripture that seem complex, and we have people in our church that have spent uh, many years studying and, and teaching the Bible. But what I think we see here is that for matters of Scripture that lead to salvation, the Bible's crystal clear. There's no confusion about what the Bible teaches on salvation. And this leads us to the next thing, which 2 Timothy 3 uh, tells us about the Bible, and that's the Bible is able to provide knowledge for salvation. Read it again. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So these words of God that Timothy was acquainted with from youth were not just giving knowledge 
for knowledge sake, but he was able to understand them for the purpose of knowing that salvation comes through Christ. What an important truth for us this morning, church. When someone asks how they can receive salvation, when someone asks what it means to have their sins forgiven, we don't need to send them the latest article from Desiring God. We don't need to point them to Gospel Coalition. Nothing wrong with those resources. Those are great resources. But all we need for salvation is right here. It's in the Word of God, which is able to make us wise for salvation. And when we think about how we're equipped to live the gospel-centered life, we can see the Word of God as both the doorway, the entrance in to the gospel-centered life, but as we keep going through the passage, we'll see that it's also so much more. It's the doorway through which we enter the Christian life, through which we enter the gospel-centered life, but it's, it's the house that we also reside in, in the Christian life. And we're going to break that down a bit more as we go. So I want us to think through just this morning. Has Scripture made you wise for salvation? So if you're in the room this morning and you have not followed Christ before, if you've heard these words and Scripture has not led you to salvation, I just want you to listen and hear what the Word of God proclaims about how we receive salvation. The Word of God says that God shows His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that Christ raised him from the that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never responded to the proclamation of the gospel, that Christ died for sins, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, I would really encourage you to ponder this question. What would it look like for you to believe the gospel promises in Scripture today? Paul tells us that Scripture is able to make us wise for salvation. And if you have never followed these promises, if you have never received the truths of the gospel in Scripture, grasp them for yourself, trusting that Christ has forgiven your sins, what would it look like for you to receive salvation through the scriptures today? The invitation is open for you to enter the door of the gospel-centered life right here, right now. If you have questions about what that looks like, feel free to talk to any of us that you've seen on stage today. But if, if this is something you haven't done, if the Spirit's moving right now, I would encourage you, don't wait. Allow scripture to make you wise for salvation today. So scripture is able to make us wise for salvation. It's simple enough for a young child to understand what it looks like to follow Christ. But then we see it does so much more than that as well. As we go through in 16 to 17, we see that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. So I think we see a few more really important points. First, all scripture is breathed out by God. And what an important doctrine that is for us as the church. We understand that the Bible, which bolsters and supports the gospel-centered life, not only teaches about salvation, it not only teaches about God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, but these are his very words. Therefore, when we are immersing ourselves in the Word of God, when we are immersing ourselves in the Bible to learn about Jesus, we're not simply reading a letter or a historical narrative. 
although those are in there. And if you want to learn more about what that means, our equip group starting next week is going to be looking at biblical interpretation and how we can read these things and know and extrapolate and pull out different truths relevant to the different genres. But they're not just letters. They're not just historical narratives. They're not just poems. They were written, breathed out by God. So we're not just reading the Bible the same way we would read any other book, any other ancient book like the Iliad or any of these things. It's different. These are the words of God. If you remember back to last December, I know it was a really long time ago, but we did this series called The Five Solas. And one of the solas that we looked at was Sola Scriptura, where the reformers held out the idea that the word of God alone is what gives us wisdom for doctrine, for teaching, and for the foundation of the Christian life. So just consider this for a moment. When we look back to Genesis, we see that God speaks and things happen. His words spoke into creation into existence, trees, mountains, rivers, all of these things sprung forth from the power of his word. And we have his word right here that we're able to read, that we're able to immerse ourselves in every day. Do we look at this word as God's word? It's a reflection question for us. It's a, it's a reflection question for myself. Do we truly cherish and value the Bible as the word of God? That what we have in these books on our smartphones is the word of God. So the Bible introduces us to Jesus and invites us to receive salvation and enter the gospel-centered life. And then the Bible is powerful, uh, which helps us to grow in the gospel-centered life. So the Bible ushers us into the gospel-centered life through knowledge of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and then it helps us to grow. Look at verse 16 and 17 again. We see that Scripture is not only breathed out by God, but that it's profitable. There's a reason that we have it. It's going to do something for us. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So there is a, a lot going on in just these two short verses. Uh, and I think a, a helpful way to look at it is what one commentator said, and he identified these four words of teaching and rebuke and correction and training as kind of two sets of two. So you have teaching and rebuke that go together as the positive and the negative side of doctrine or belief. So meaning that the Bible is powerful to teach us proper belief. The Bible is powerful to teach us proper doctrine. The Bible is powerful to teach us what we should believe. And then the Bible is powerful to rebuke us when we aren't believing correctly. The Bible is powerful to teach us or to rebuke us when we have false doctrine. And the other side is correction and training. And we can think about this as our practical side of the gospel-centered life. How are we living? How are we behaving because of what the gospel is doing in our lives? Training is teaching one the, the practice, the behavior, the ethic of the Christian life. And correction is the Bible correcting when the follower of Christ has missed the mark of practice in the gospel-centered life. So we see rebuking and teaching and uh, correcting and training as two linked items. Teaching and rebuking being the belief in doctrine, 
and correcting and training are about our praxis. They're about what we live out, what we believe. What is our behavior, our ethic, and how do we live it out? And this is why we need to keep the gospel, the word of God, and brothers and sisters in front of us in our lives so that when we are not walking in step with the gospel, in the, in the gospel-centered life, when we're not believing, we can be corrected, we can be rebuked. And in the gospel-centered life, the life that is ultimately focused and identified, and, and we see our value in Jesus, when we receive correction, when we see receive rebuking, we can ultimately rejoice. And I say ultimately because, I don't know if you're anything like me, when someone corrects or rebukes you, you're not like, wow, thank you so much. It's normally a little bit afterwards. But when we value, when we see our value in Christ, when we see our identity in Christ and desire to grow in Christ's likeness, when someone corrects us and rebukes us with the word of God, we do ultimately say thank you because they're helping us to have proper belief. They're helping us to have proper practice and sanctification and grow in Christ's likeness. Another way to consider these concepts we see um, in other places in the Bible, like Colossians 3 and Galatians 5, which talk about putting off uh, sin, putting to death sin, and putting on Christ's righteousness. So in these moments, we seek to put off sin. We seek to rebuke and to correct the sin in our lives and in the brothers and sisters' lives, and we seek to put on Christ's righteousness. We seek to train and to teach what it looks like to have proper doctrine and what it looks like to follow Christ with our lives. And in these moments when we've been corrected, rebuked, told to put off sin, they should lead us to repentance. It's an act, it's a mark of the gospel center life is repentance. When we see that we have fallen short of the glory of God, then we should be led to repent, to confess as we did as a church this morning. This should be a regular practice of us. When we see our sin, and then we see how great and glorious God is, then when we repent, it should lead us to a renewed faith. I know many of us, we've gone through um, Gospel Center Lives and other trainings which have this cross chart, which you see that the more that you see your own sinfulness, the more you value God's grace and his ability to cover our sins. So it should lead us to this renewed faith. We repent with a renewed faith, and then that leads us to worship. How could a sinner like me receive this glory, this, this gospel? And so we worship and we glorify God. And this is kind of the cycle or the, 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 the continual rhythm of the gospel sinner life is we, we see sin and we try to, to get it out. We put off sin, we repent, we confess, and then we cling on to a renewed faith and we worship God. And then uh, a few of us were talking the other night, and right when you think you've finished one sin, what happens? Uh, you know, someone comes, you're reading the Bible, and they say, hey, uh, have you thought about that area of your life? Like, God, I thought, I thought we finished all this, you know? And um, so that's the continual pattern, is when we see sin, we repent, we cling to faith in the gospel, and we worship God. And in that regard, we're prepared and equipped as Timothy uh, calls, or as Paul calls Timothy, for every good work. Every good work meaning the good works that God has prepared in right belief and right praxis. 
the church and the follower of Jesus is not simply called to put off sin and do nothing. We're not simply called to just live at the state of nothingness, but we're called to actively be equipped for every good work. We read that in the text this morning in uh, Ephesians, that when we've been saved, we're saved for good works. We don't do good works for salvation, right? But when we are saved, God is preparing us, equipping us for good works. So the Bible, it's the message or the source of equipping in the gospel-centered lives. Through the Bible, we are able to know what is needed to receive salvation. Through the Bible, we are able to learn what right doctrine, what right belief is. And through the Bible, we are able to learn what right practice is. And through the Bible, when we fall short of belief or praxis, then we're able to be rebuked and corrected. As we consider being equipped to live the gospel-centered life, the Bible helps us to be with and to know the person of Jesus. The Bible helps us to be with and to know the person of Jesus. So we're not simply trying to learn a host of things. We're not simply trying to learn different facts, but it helps us to know who Jesus is. And what a pity it would be if we had proper doctrine, if we lived out proper faith, but our hearts had never been caught by love for Christ. The Bible introduces us to our Savior, and the Bible allows us to know him and his heart for his people. And over time, little by little, our hearts are able to be transformed by spending time with him in his word. We see his heart for the poor. We see his heart for the socially reviled. We see his heart for the lost. And as we read his word, as we see him do these things, our hearts begin to soften towards the poor towards the lost, towards the socially reviled. Not as a way, again, to earn salvation, but as a response to the love that Christ has shown us, we seek to love others. So what are people equipped with? We're equipped with the word of God. It introduces us and it sustains us in our relationship with Jesus. The Bible is what we're equipped with to live the gospel-centered life. And so our next question this morning is looking at the methods that we use in equipping. Who is equipped, who is equipping, and how are they equipped? And so if you still have your Bibles open to 2 Timothy, you can either stay at that page or turn back one page, and we're gonna look at 2 Timothy 2.2. One uh, simple verse, which I believe has a lot of profound wisdom when we think about equipping. Again, Paul writing to Timothy says, And what you have heard from me and the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So who is equipping, who is doing, who is equipped, who is doing the equipping, and how are they equipped? In this one verse, I believe we see three profound truths about the nature of equipping people to live gospel-centered lives. The first, Paul says, what you have heard from me and the presence of many witnesses. So the presence of many witnesses, we're thinking about equipping that takes place in public gatherings. So something like this, a Sunday morning service, our equip groups uh, in GCC, something where there is public teaching, public gathering, quote unquote, many witnesses. 
So there, there's a purpose that we attend these services. It's for our equipping. It's not just for the sake of taking a role and uh, you know making sure we come to the club, but it is for our equipping. It's meant to help you know Christ and to walk with God. So equipping takes place in the presence of many witnesses. And then from there, Timothy was encouraged to entrust what he had learned to faithful men. So we see that equipping takes place then on a personal level. And at GCC, uh, this will look like our mentoring groups, which I think are in a sort of alpha test stage, which we'll be uh, hearing about more in the coming weeks and months, so hopefully. Um, but uh, the smaller group of entrusting to those who are faithful. So looking at one-on-one, one-on-two, one-on-three type uh, discipleship and mentoring, where we're taking what we have learned and distilling it and teaching it to others, holding them accountable for what they're learning, both in, in, in their practice and in what they're believing. And then we see the final thing is that those who have received that are meant to teach others also. And so we see that this equipping should be reproducing. It should be replicating. And so at GCC, this looks like if you are in a mentor group, you should be leading a mentor group as well. Or if you are leading a mentor group, all the people in your mentor group should be leading their own mentor groups. We see that the people who have been taught in mentor groups, they should be turning around and teaching others also. And so we see that it's a normal practice in the Christian life then for people to have both a Paul, someone who is mentoring you, someone who is pouring into you, someone who is instructing you, and a Timothy, someone who you are taking what you have learned and sharing it with them. And so if you are someone who has been a believer uh, for 50 years, or if you're someone who came to faith uh, today, there's something in a city like Kuala Lumpur that you can teach someone about what it means to follow Christ. So we see that mentoring and equipping takes place in front of many witnesses in a teaching gathering like this. And then it moves to a smaller, more personal setting. And then those people that are taught go out and teach others. So some reflection questions for us is who is mentoring you? Who are you mentoring? Are there people in your life that are actively helping you, pouring into your life, helping you to understand the truths of Scripture, helping you understand how to walk with God? And are you turning around and helping others to do the same? And then we're called to be good. So, so once we've received this, once we receive this message, we're called to be good stewards. So when we come to the, the gathering of many people, when we come to our equip groups, when we come to our mentor groups, we're called to steward the way that we've been equipped and seek to equip others as well. All in the church are being equipped and all in the church are seeking to steward how they have been equipped in order to equip others. So we see the message of equipping for the gospel-centered life is the word of God, and the method of equipping in the gospel-centered life is multiple tiers of a large group gathering, and then one-on-one, one-on-two, one-on-three discipleship that's reproducible and replicating. 
And then the third question I want us to look at this morning is really the, the so what. What is the end goal of equipping? We're going to look at what is the mission of equipping. Why should we be equipped to live gospel-centered lives? Why should we care to equip others to live gospel-centered lives? Why should you be listening to this sermon right now rather than being asleep? Why should you come to a biblical interpretation equip group rather than watching Netflix after work, right? Like, why, why are we doing these things? And it, it, it's my hope that you have been equipped or that you've been convinced this far of the impact of equipping for your own life and for the lives of those in GCC. The Bible is what we are equipped with as it ushers us into a relationship with Christ. Through the Bible and our brothers and sisters, we seek to put off sin and put on Christ's righteousness and in that way, grow in Christ-likeness. We seek to engage in the sanctifying rhythm which sees sin, repents, grasps renewed faith, and worships God. These are not a means for us to earn salvation. Our salvation, line clear, has been purchased and won by Christ. No act of equipping can earn you more favor before God. And I believe that these truths, the pursuit of Christ-likeness in our own lives and in the lives of others, would be a sufficient reason for us to pursue equipping, right? If it was only for ourselves and for the sake of those in the room, I think that would be a sufficient, a good reason to be equipped for us to learn the gospel-centered life. But I believe there's another reason for us to be equipped. And now I know that a lot of us come from a more reformed background, and sometimes in reformed backgrounds, we can get uncomfortable talking about numbers and numerical growth. Um, and I think that's good sometimes, right? Like we want to, we want to nurture and equip the people that are here in front of us, and that's good. But I want us to just take a moment, like we're going to put a pause on that idea and say it's okay for us to talk about numbers this morning. And there's some numbers in specific I want us to talk about. So consider this. In the Klang Valley alone, there's over 8.4 million people. It's a lot of people. Of this 8.4 million, you have an estimated approximate 3% of them being Christians. I am not a maths major, uh, but I think that's approximately 250,000 followers of Jesus in our city. So that means that there's approximately 8.2 million people in our city who are separated from Christ. 8.2 million people that don't have the hope of the gospel. 8.2 million that don't have assurance of salvation. 8.2 million people leading lives on the wide road going to destruction and death and sin apart from Christ in our city, in our home complexes, in our condos, our workplaces, our schools, 8.2 million people who don't know Jesus. And brothers and sisters, I appeal to you that if we are going to live lives centered on the gospel, we have to do something about this. We will take the word of salvation that we have received, we will steward it for ourselves, and we will take it to the city that is dying without a hope of the gospel. As we close, we turn to Matthew 28, 18 through 20 with me. 
is a short passage and a familiar passage that I believe most of us are probably familiar with it, but I think as we close here, it's a fitting place to end. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So a few things I want us to consider here as we're closing, thinking about how are we equipped to live gospel-centered lives? When we look at the city, when we look at 8.2 million people in the Klang Valley, when we look at that in light of the Great Commission, Christ has commissioned us out in all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth. We have been given authority from Christ to do the work that he is giving us, namely the work that he says of making disciples. The what of the Great Commission, the what that we have been called to in the Great Commission is making disciples. So that means exactly what it looked like in 2 Timothy 2.2, so that we take what we have learned, Christ commissioned us to teach all that he commanded. And so as we are teaching the word of God, as we are immersing ourselves in the word of God, we take that to those in the city and we seek to teach that to them. Well, you say, who is in the city? Who are the people that we're meant to go to? Christ makes it pretty clear. All nations, not geopolitical nations that we're thinking of. This is the different people groups. So, we, so if we say, oh, there's churches in Malaysia, it's reached, right? He's talking a bit more specific than that. All nations, all people groups, all of the different peoples that are represented in our city. That means peoples that call this country home. That means our refugees. That means our international students. People from countries that it's very challenging for the church to go to have come here. They reside here. They call Malaysia home now. And in the Lord's providence, he may have brought them here for the sake of hearing the gospel to go back to their home country with the gospel. There's no people group outside the realm of the command that the church is meant to go to. No ethnic group falls outside this command. So what are we meant to do? We're meant to teach them everything that Christ has commanded. We're to make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them. These are the, the two core elements that Christ has given us in this command, to take what's been entrusted to us and to teach it with them. And Christ gives us this promise at the end. Christ knows. Christ knows that there's, there's going to be some challenging people groups on the list, right? I'm sure there's challenging people groups back, uh, you know, in A.D., whatever, when he uh, wrote this, right? But he says that I will be with you always to the end of the age. So some of the people groups, some of the places where the church is called to go, and equip disciples, it's going to be hard, right? But Christ has promised that he is going with us. And there's also another promise that we have as we think through what it looks like to equip the nations, what it looks like to follow the Great Commission. We know where all of this is going, and we're working from the side of victory, 
Revelation 7, 9 through 10 says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes, all peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hand, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All nations, all people singing salvation belongs to our God. In English, in Spanish, in Farsi, in Arabic, in Bahasa, in Mandarin, Cantonese, Tamil, Tagalog, all of the languages of the world. It's guaranteed. We're working from the victory, but church, we're called to do this. This is our mission. This is our vision. Can you, can you see it? Is this something we can get behind? Taking what we've been entrusted with, taking what we've been taught, and going to the nations. The end goal of equipping the so what is making disciples of all nations to see God glorified by a multitude of peoples calling him Lord. The Bible is the foundation of the gospel-centered life. Equipping through teaching and one-on-one -on -one personal mentoring in the church and the lives of believers is the method for growth in the gospel-centered life. And fulfillment and obedience to the Great Commission is an act of stewarding the equipping we've received and a response of the gospel permeating every aspect of our lives. So when the gospel is in a place of primacy in our lives, we can't help but to go share it. We can't help but to sing it as we go out into the city, into our grab cars, into our workplaces, into our schools. The Bible allows us to know the person of Christ, to receive the love of Christ, and to grow to be like Christ. And we're called to turn around to help others know him, be loved by him, and grow to be like him. The act of equipping at times will be challenging work. There may be times when we're fighting our own pride. There may be times when we're battling persecution. There may be times when we're coming alongside brothers and sisters who are in the midst of a challenging season, facing loss and hardship. And this is a reminder for us that no amount of knowledge about Jesus or about the word of God is enough in the trials that will come in the call of equipping. We have to know Jesus. We have to have a relationship with him and continue to go back to him for rest, for nourishment and encouragement in the gospel-centered life. So the, the message, starting with the Bible, the method of being equipped through teaching, and then the mission of equipping, these are not linear steps. You do not start by learning the Bible and then once you've learned the Bible, you graduate to equipping and discipleship in the local church. And once you've mastered that, then you are, you know, the, the guru and you're commissioned out to the missions. That, that's not how that works, right? This is a repeating cycle. At all times, we should be engaging in these tasks of going back to the word of God, of being equipped and equipping others, and of going out to the lost in our city. Tim Keller says that the gospel is not the ABCs, but it's the, he says the A to Z. I'll go with the A to Z of the Christian life since we're here. J.D. Greer says the gospel is not the diving board 
into the Christian life, but it's the waters that we swim in. It's everything that we swim in. And if we seek to make disciples of Christ on our own power, apart from the gospel, I think it's easy to lead to moralism, where we see this as an act of earning salvation and puffing up our own pride. But when we remember our station before Christ, when we're in this cycle of seeing sin, repenting, having renewed faith and worship, when we see the great love that Christ has for us, I think the natural response is that we'll want to go and tell others. I want to read for you uh, the first few verses of the song, All I Have is Christ. I think it summarizes the heart of someone who is seeking Christ as their all in the gospel-centered life, and from a response to that, will be going out to equip others in the city. I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy in life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. And if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. But as I ran my hellbound race, indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross. And I beheld God's love displayed. You suffered in my place. You bore the wrath reserved for me. Now all I know is grace. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. Hallelujah, Jesus is my life. Church, when we see Christ as our life, when we can sing hallelujah, Jesus is my life, we will consider it a joy to be equipped and equip others for his glory and for the sake of his name in our lives, in Gospel City Church, and in the city and in the nation around us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is able to give us wisdom for salvation. God, we thank you that through it we can come to know you. Lord, we pray for those in our city who do not know you. God, we pray that through your church of GCC and the many other churches and believers that you have in the Klang Valley, Lord, we pray you would work amongst all people groups, for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We invite you to learn more about Gospel City Church at gospelcitychurch.my.